Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Yumiko's Holiday Collection, comprised of festive, ready-to-wear options, is available in-store and online this month. If you missed their holiday live shopping event, where they debuted the new 2021 colors last week, you could also contact your local store or ambassador for early access. The new colors are stunning. Yumiko is proud to have donated 100% of all sales received on Black Friday to various underfunded dance schools, companies, and COVID-19 dancer relief funds. They are so grateful for their loyal customers who have not only joined them to raise money, but for also helping them carry through this exceedingly difficult year. Yumiko wishes all of you a happy and healthy holiday season. As a reminder, the New York City flagship store is standing by and ready to process all of your orders via phone and email to ensure you can safely shop from home. Check out yumiko.com and yumiko's Instagram at yumiko for more virtual training options this winter, new releases, store updates, holiday specials, and much more. Before we begin today, a quick note. This is our final episode of 2020. It has truly been a difficult year for all of us, but we are grateful to be able to continue this podcast talking with people who have extraordinary stories and who are finding ways to be creative and innovative during this time. As we close out this year, we hope that if you are able, you will consider offering support to arts organizations that matter to you and that you want to see survive this challenging time. We have had the pleasure of watching firsthand how dance is fighting to survive and adapt, and now is a wonderful time to support these efforts. Any amount helps. Thank you all for listening and for your continued support of our podcast. Thank you to Yumiko for making this podcast possible year after year. We love you all and hope that you have a wonderful and safe holiday season. See you in 2021. Now let's get to the episode. I'm Rebecca King Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. This week, we are joined by Lori Kanyak, founder of Kanyak Arts Initiative. Lori has performed on Broadway, television, and film. She played the lead roles in Twyla Tharp's Come Fly Away and Moving Out. Her other Broadway credits include Fosse, Saturday Night Fever, and In Your Arms. 
She was the ballet casting consultant for Tony Award-winning choreographer Christopher Wieldens and American in Paris. She is the founder of the Kenyok Arts Initiative, which is preparing emerging artists to meet the demands of collegiate and creative endeavors through performance and collaborative experiences. Today, we talk with Lori about her career, how she was inspired to start this organization, and about her nonprofit, Fate Foundation Kids, which offers free online dance classes to all kids ages five and up. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're really excited to chat with you and hear about a lot of the great work that you're doing. And so thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, so let's start where we always start with all of our guests. Tell us how you first became interested in dance. Oh, my, my mother did that yeah. to me. <laughs> I was a wee little girl and I think it was, I was the first born child and my mom decided that ballet and tap was what you do with your three-year-old child. <laughs> and uh, I did it, I, you know, bounced around. I went from Southwestern Pennsylvania originally. And I think there was a moment when I was probably a, like an eight-year-old and I said, I don't want to do this anymore. And she looked at me and she said, well, you can't go out to side to play with your friends unless you go to class. So if you don't go to, to ballet, then you can't go play. And then it backfired on her because <laughs> after that, the bug was, had set in and, uh, you know, I never stopped. We hear about, I had one of those moments too, uh, um, you know, not sure what I wanted to do. And we hear about a lot of people doing that around that age. And mm -hmm. then they just have that one time where they question and then it's boom from there on out. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny you say that because I have an eight-year-old little girl uh -huh. and she came home from dance last night and said to me, you know, mom, in 2021, I was just thinking on the way home that in 2021, I want to try other things. <laughs> I said, like what? And she goes, I don't know, like baseball. Okay. Well. And it's like, well, that's not necessarily a dead of winter sport, but we can certainly explore it at some point. That's so good. So, yeah. so at what point then did you start to become more serious and think about dance as um professional career that you might pursue? My mom's sister lived here in New York City and mm -hmm. for most of her adult life. And they, when I was 11, as I was very thin and long-legged uh, little girl, and she, they said, you have to go to a ballet camp mm -hmm. and live with Aunt Judy. And that was absolutely it. I never wanted to leave New York. Mm -hmm. And I spent that summer at the Joffrey and I spent every other summer at the Joffrey until I had some friends that were in tap dance really heavy, like with the, the old time hoofers. Mm -hmm. And they were friends of mine, my age. And so I would go from the ballet to, from Joffrey to like Henry Letang's studio and with my friend to watch his private. And then I started to see like Broadway Dance Center and Frank Hatchett and the VOP in the 80s, you know, movies with Janet Jones. And I was like, wow, that's cool too. I want to mm -hmm. try that. And, you know, it's just everywhere all over the city. You had art and things and people and energy. Was that so, difficult to sort of straddle two worlds? I feel like people usually get pigeonholed or, or forced into a decision where it's like, okay, now I have to go this route. You know, you, you can't be divided in that way. Of course. No. Yeah. And I, I had to make a decision mm -hmm. and I had these feet, like I have feet. Um, and <laughs> it was, a, it was problematic as a kid because point shoes, especially back then 
weren't as, you know, they weren't as plentiful, Mm -hmm. right? So I would break shoes in in two days, they're gone. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, 12. And these people, the teachers would look at me with like, oh my gosh, but your feet, but I could, my ankles. So (laughs) I think that's another reason why I made that decision because it was such a struggle. Mm -hmm. strength wise with my feet it was sort of like and then I see Alessandra Ferry and I'm like yeah exactly (laughs) totally but it was a different world you know it was it was we were talking about the 80s so I did make the choice I Mm -hmm. did and I had all that technique and I had the the training to sustain another life and then be sort of categorized as you know the the dancer with the ballet technique that mm-hmm. could do everything else. Right. Well, because then when you start to pursue more of the Broadway part of things, like that becomes a huge advantage because obviously you're getting hired for one skill set, but then to have that in your back pocket. Like, how was there a scenario where that played out really well um, in your favor? Well, yeah. I, I went, I actually pre Broadway moved to LA because oh. my, my commercial dance friends here in the city were doing that because it was the Michael Peters. Debbie Allen era mm-hmm. of time and sure. thriller, Michael Jackson's thriller was coming out and the, the Academy Awards were always having these big dance f- features. Mm-hmm. And so my friends were flocking to Los Angeles because at that point in time on Broadway, it was the Andrew Lloyd Webber invasion. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't sing, if you weren't a soprano, you kind of weren't, you know, getting uh-huh. a gig. Right. So, and that wasn't. So I went, okay, I'm just going to go to LA at 17 and see what happens. Wow. And so it was there and I couldn't, I wasn't really a commercial dancer. I wasn't funky, if you will, <laughs> you know, uh, and they made fun of me, but at the same time they were like, Whoa, you know, look what she does kind mm-hmm. of thing. So it was, mm-hmm. I had to sort of navigate and find my way. Uh, LA for me was short lived because I hated living there. I'm a city mm-hmm. person. <laughs> and it scared me like to park in a parking lot and walk to a building in the, in the nighttime when it was dark, scared mm-hmm. me to death. Yeah. I, I needed people around me. Mm-hmm. But I, I got, I was recognized and I, I worked with some of those major choreographers, but I was by coastal. I, mm-hmm. I flew back here and I was like, I, I can't there. Yeah. But I, I have a special place in my heart for Los Angeles. I have many friends out there and it's, it was a wonderful journey for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't until uh, I did Fosse on Broadway and that was, in my mid twenties mm-hmm. that, that, that whole thing started. And yes, and it was Anne Reinking and I have to acknowledge her uh, right now. Of course, I yeah. Um, I worked with Anne and Gwen mm-hmm. and they coached me and, with Julio Boca. That's incredible. Wow. Yeah. Julio and I went into the show together uh-huh. at the same, and we rehearsed together with Anne and Gwen. Wow. And ironically enough, one of my, my studio here in New York, Aaron Bell is working with Julio Boca uh, I don't know if I was supposed to say that, but oh. it's so <laughs> full circle. We love uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. So, it's so full circle, this life and the world and the dance yeah. community. It just all connects. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. absolutely. So, so once you returned to New York from LA, what was your first steps? What did you start doing? What were you aiming towards? I went in, into an acting class, a mm. big full acting program for two years. Um, and I didn't know what I was doing. And another fun fact is I met a guy, a scene partner in that class was a, a guy that I ended up doing Fosse with. He mm-hmm. was in the original cast. 
So it's kind of crazy. It it is. (laughs) So, but that was it. I realized that if I was going to be on Broadway, I had Mm -hmm. to have those skills. Right. Mm -hmm. And as we know, as dancers in a ballet class, we don't speak. Right. Right. And then when did, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say this is going to dovetail nicely with a lot of the work that you do now, Mm -hmm. but I don't want to jump ahead yet, but uh, it is like already you're, you're getting that sort of spark. Like this is a skill set that maybe dancers are not developing, but kind of need, you know, mm-hmm. especially should mm-hmm. you choose to not take a route that's just like, and now I'm hitched to a company for mm-hmm. the entirety of my career. Which um, is also a lovely, incredible thing. Right. You know, I mean, but yes, I will, I will let you guys leave. Yeah. <laughs> I, off of that for sure. I did want to hear before we kind of go into all of that, when did um, singing come in for you into the equation of all of this? Oh my gosh. <laughs> it, it really never did. <laughs> <laughs> it scared the day. It was easier for me to deliver a scene, you know, or monologue. Mm-hmm. It was the worst fear I have ever felt. I would give birth to an elephant before I would sing on stage. <laughs> and I, it was traumatic. Mm-hmm. It, and I, because I was later, I was aged. Right. And I would literally audition and screeching would come out of my vo- my throat. Wow. And not because I can't sing. It was because I was, the fear was so right. overwhelming right. in my yeah. body that I had no control over it. And I remember Very relatable. One, yeah. <laughs> I was auditioning for a friend of mine, Sergio Trujillo, who I danced with in Los Angeles. And mm-hmm. he was, we were partners on a job. And he was, I don't know, whatever his show was that he was doing. And um, I danced around the circles of the room. And I had sing and hit the look on his face was hysterical. And because we know each other very uh-huh. well. And he it was like the look of, oh, please, I want to save you, but I can't. Oh, because oh. I was so scared. I was like shim- tremoring. Mm-hmm. Right. But oh the irony God. is like when I'm with my, my friends or my kid I, or when I was in the show, mm-hmm. I could sing. But it right. was that audition, that first initial introduction. Right. Mm-hmm. I bombed every time. Oh my gosh. I feel like we talk about that a lot on the podcast that when you're younger, it feels like you're have this fearlessness. You just don't understand in the same way. Like you're not analyzing everything the way you do when you're older. So I can understand that coming into that new skill when you're older was just like And that's terrifying. why I do what I do right today. That yes. what you just said. Right. Yes. Let's so talk about it. <laughs> I'm gonna talk about it. But I wanna I just I wanna get a little bit more about your career in um like your your per- performance careers like you worked with Twyla Tharp um you worked with legends like Anne Ranking and Gwen Verdon like what 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 were some of the more um the milestones of your career that um really cemented Michael Jackson you you worked with Michael yeah okay what was that what was that project what was that experience uh it was I was just telling a friend of mine um the last when he passed he was doing this is it the show prior Mm -hmm. to that that he was trying to make a comeback with I forget the name. One night only it was called. We were doing one night at the Beacon Theater with Michael. Mm. Wow. I just I just moved and I just found the lanyard from the gig. Cool. Mm. But we never went on stage. We didn't go on stage because he fainted, fell. I don't mm-hmm. I wasn't on stage at the time with him. I had just left the rehearsal, the tech, and we got a call that he was in the hospital. Uh. And then the next day we got the call that he's not doing the show. 
And he was already pretty, he was in a bad way already. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, we all know the cause of death. Uh, and I, I'm pretty positive there was that stuff going on at that time mm -hmm. in life. Um, but he is one of, I really, truly, I didn't dance next to Gwen Verdon. Mm -hmm. Actually, I shouldn't say that. She mm -hmm. did something once upon a time to me in a rehearsal where I was blown away and she was late at an advanced age. Um, <laughs> but Michael's energy was just earth shattering. Mm -hmm. And you and, and so when I watch that this is it film now and I, I can totally relate and I can feel it as if I was there because I was next to him right uh, for a while and he's he's just one of a kind there's mm -hmm. nothing and it wasn't learned it wasn't trained you know it was all by natural passionate you know kind of energy that he was born with mm -hmm. and to witness that and to be in a room with it and to dance next to it was yeah, I irreplaceable. You can't, I can't articulate it really. So cool. And that's so different from working with Twyla, but not, you know, mm -hmm. and then I also worked with a director named Franco Dragone, uh, who was the original director of all of this original Cirque du Soleil shows. Mm -hmm. He sort of changed my life as well. Um, as a director, he was, he made me think, beyond as a dancer as an artist as a performer as an actor as just anybody that's communicating any type of message to anyone he's a genius and i'm so grateful for that experience and i wish that i could work with him again and maybe i will maybe he'll hear this <laughs> um many many things that i still use to this day words that he said that I still I'll convey to my students or I'll convey when I was, you know, casting or whatever, if I'm ever on a creative team, I still use his philosophies and ideas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then sort of Twyla, you know, was the end of my career. And what, you know, what can, what can you not say about Twyla Tharp? Yeah. I, yeah. I can't thank her enough for the gifts that she gave to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So at what point then within your performing career, did you realize that, you know, you were committed to this art form beyond just performance itself when you said, okay, I want to, I want to stay involved, but yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to be a part of this art form rather than like, okay, I'm going to open up a restaurant when I'm, when the show closes. <laughs> you know that I went and toured a culinary school after I gave birth okay. to my daughter. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I went to um, the Culinary Institute because I love to cook. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, because it had that moment, Michael, mm -hmm. where I was like, what am I going to do? I had a baby. I retired and had a kid at the same time, which was ridiculously difficult. Mm. Um, and I will write a book about that one day. And I'm, I'm not the only person that has done that, but, you know, it's real. Something mm -hmm. And I just about. didn't know. And I went and I came home with a baguette. And I was so excited. I was like, I'm going to culinary school. <laughs> and then I realized like, I hate foie gras. Like, how am I going to, how am I going to be a chef if I can't, I, the texture of that makes me want to gag now. <laughs> so like, how am I going to do this? I, I didn't go obviously, but it was that moment of where do I go mm -hmm. with, thank God I had a toddler because I was so bent on being a full-time mother in the, mm -hmm. in the early years, the formative years of her life that I didn't pressure myself to make decisions. Mm -hmm. And luckily because I've had this long career, 
I had many friends that said, hey, like, you know, Chris Catelli said to me, We're, I'm doing this new show and I really want you to be on the creative team and I want you mm -hmm. to choreograph and I want you to dance if you want. And I did. I did all of that. And mm -hmm. it was amazing. So those little things. And then, you know, I started teaching at Pace University and mm -hmm. then I got this gig with Chris Wheeldon to, you know, consult the, the casting for An American in Paris. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to talk about that. Yeah. Oh, I said, Tell us we how will. he approached so, you for that and kind of like what he didn't, your goal was. He didn't. Uh, Rachel Hoffman from Telsey's office, I believe, or somebody from mm -hmm. Bernie Telsey's office called me. They knew me as a dancer. Mm -hmm. They cast the show that I did with Chris Catelli and we did it up at Paper Mill. Mm -hmm. Not with Paper Mill, Vassar College. That's where it was. That show is amazing, by the way. Um, and I danced with Martin Harvey. That's what it was. Martin Harvey was my partner, Maria's husband. Mm -hmm. And so he's the last person I ever danced with. It was a dream-like dream. He's a mm -hmm. good friend and he's amazing. Um, so I, know, I get this call from Telty and they're saying, the show was already up. Robbie and they were already in, or, or it was just opening or something. Mm -hmm. We need help finding replacements. Chris needs help. So then I mm -hmm. spoke to Chris and he just said to me, he was like, you know, the kind of dancer, you will know the kind of dancer that I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. And they're having it, you know, a difficult time pinning that for me. And he was so busy. I mean, Chris is everywhere. He's all, mm -hmm. all over the world. And uh, then I spoke with Rachel in depth and they just sent me on my way. And mm -hmm. I would literally travel. I, I scoped all the major ballet companies in North America, the ones that were easy, easy to get to. When mm -hmm. I went to Canada and went uh, West Coast, East Coast. Mm -hmm. You did stop by Miami City Ballet, didn't you? I didn't go down. I went to Orlando and okay. the people came up. Came up. That's yeah. right. Okay. I went <laughs> to Florida and I don't know why I ended up, why I picked Orlando because Miami's way more fun. <laughs> 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 Hang out at now that you say that. Yeah. <laughs> And I, so what I would do is I would get them and I would work with them in whatever city I was in and mm -hmm. I would introduce the choreography and I would introduce the vocal material and I would introduce the scene work. Mm -hmm. And then I would sort of make an assessment to see if they could, if I thought they could get there right. to the Jerry and Lee's uh, characters, because mm -hmm. that's all they were really looking for. Or like an understudy too that would be in the ensemble. Right. But some of these big cats that I was like, I was working with Guillaume Cote up in Canada, mm -hmm. and you know, of, who doesn't fall in love with Guillaume? Uh, Very handsome. <laughs> and he's he's Sorry, so talented, yeah. mm -hmm. and he delivered. He's like mm -hmm. the real deal. This guy. Mm -hmm. Um. It, it. He's triple threat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He did it. I was in shock. Like there was very little work to be done. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But, you know, a guy like that is, you know, he has his family and he's so involved and established in his career. But the, mm -hmm. those kinds of um, ballet dancers were difficult to, to get. Right. There are so many talented people. And then so many with the fear factor. Mm -hmm. And I won't Ugh, name yeah. names, but like <laughs> I had them. Name names. No, 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 I'm not going to do it. I'm like kidding. Oh my God. Can I you imagine be being getting, outed like that? <laughs> I will be getting DM'd. From <laughs> 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 um, but that, that experience was so much fun and so wonderful. And I think my daughter was probably like 
three or four at the time. Mm -hmm. And she would say things to me like, mommy, what do you, where are you going? Why are you leaving? Where are you going? But that gave me life. And I know for some reason it was okay for me to leave her for that mm -hmm. because it really made me feel like I was getting my hands dirty with the art form that I love. Mm -hmm. And then the most gratifying part of that job was seeing them book the job and become this other type of artist. Mm -hmm. And there were th three really wonderful examples of that. And then one sort of tragedy um, mm. in, in terms of like, she got booked. Mm -hmm. She is international, by the way, it was mm -hmm. for the leads. And then I, Oh my gosh, I'm losing my mind. Either <laughs> the show. Yeah. The oh. the, predis the the person that was in the role decided not to leave or something, so they mm -hmm. had to release her, and oh. she was devastated. And it wasn't because of her talent or anything like right, that. It right. was just that the way it, it goes. They didn't need her, mm -hmm. and it was such a heartbreak. And I felt so bad because she was so beautiful, and she's she's a lovely artist. Um, but yeah, we had those. Think great. of all these people now that you have in your back pocket that you know something else that you know exactly who to go to. Oh, and I, t I still get called. Mm -hmm. I still, they yeah. call me all the time. We're looking for uh, this type of person. What, what do you have? Who do you know? And it's, I don't even know how I became like this, you You're know, like an agent because I'm, I, and I toyed with that idea too. Did you? I did. I started working with a gal named Lakey Wolf, who's an incredible agent. And she also has a knack for the dancer with the technique and the things and the things, mm -hmm. the tools, the gifts. Um, but it just, for some reason, I, you know, I did, I liked it, but I, it, it wasn't for me. Yeah. It wasn't. I, I just very quickly knew like that. This isn't my lifetime gig. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we will return to conversations on dance in a moment, but first. Clearly, as a Conversations on Dance listener, you're a dance person. But even for the most devoted obsessive, it can be hard to stay on top of all the dance world's news. Enter the Dance Edit podcast, hosted by a group of editors from Dance Media, aka people who nerd out about dance for a living. Every Thursday morning, they lead a roundtable discussion on the week's top dance stories, followed by an interview with one of the dance artists shaping the news. Whether you're a dancer, a dance teacher, or some other variant of dance enthusiast, you'll find something that moves you on the Dance Edit podcast. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or at thedanceedit.com slash podcast. So how did you start to come into your lifetime gig? It's obviously like you have, you clearly have established like from the time that you were younger, you had this idea that like this was dancers were being underfed these other skills. And then through this process with American in Paris, you see how wonderful it can be to give them that ability. How did that start to become a larger idea in your mind? And when did you start to kind of put pieces in place for what you're doing now? It was a, it was a mix between my upbringing and, and, you know, people say to you all the time when you retire, do you have any regrets? I don't have any regrets. I wish I had some of the things that are available to artists now. Mm -hmm. I wish we had them back then. It's not mm -hmm. just me. Mm -hmm. I wish that I would have danced with the ballet company. I wish that I would have not had the fear that I had singing. Mm -hmm. um, I, 
you know, so those are, and they're not regrets. They're just sort of like hindsight. What's your takeaway? Where do you build? How do you move? How do you change? How do you make this better? So that coupled with creating with friends of mine and producing things, couple, and then you add on to the equation, Chris wielded an American in Paris. Mm -hmm. And I realized in that moment, there's no place, there is no place, like a finishing school, there's no place for these types of dancers to have all of these lessons in under one roof. Mm -hmm. right. And why aren't we teaching them? Why is it that the ballet dancers uh, are, are, you know, well, I know why, we all know why, and there's a reason why. Mm -hmm. But then they're being plucked and, and now I'm having to instill all this stuff in them and the fear and the things and the things and they all go, oh, if I only knew, if I only could. Um, so I decided to start a program and because that's what I do. I'm just like, okay, let's do this now. And uh, <laughs> it's a training program for teenagers. It's an after-school program. And my original idea was for it to sit between the two major ballet schools here in New York. Mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, in a lot of those schools too, as we know, some dancers change out, mm -hmm. right? They're, they're just, as they develop and mature, they're just no longer maybe right for that track. Mm -hmm. But sometimes there's passion and sometimes there's a, a desire mm -hmm. and maybe that track is not the right track for you, but that doesn't mean that there's not a different track right. Right. for you to express yourself in. So I thought, let's do this. Let's see. And there's, there are kids that, you know, and then there are kids that are totally afraid to sing and act. And they, they come, they call me, the mom calls me or the dad calls me and says, well, they want to do this. And this sounds really great. And they want to dance ballet and they want to do, you know, train in Horton and Graham and they want, mm -hmm. they want to dance musical theater and jazz, but they don't really want to do the singing and the acting. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's non-negotiable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And here's why. It's not to be a Broadway star. It's about life. Mm -hmm. What if they're doing an interview like we are right now and 20 years from now, and they don't really have the confidence to articulate and speak with their voice, use their voice. Right. Mm -hmm. What if they're, you know, working for Microsoft and have to deliver a presentation? So true. The acting class. Mm -hmm. it, it's just being standing up and talking in front of and, and, right. and actually speaking. Right. So I, I, and I wholeheartedly believe that it's not mm -hmm. about being, and then there are the dancers or the, the artists that come in that do that's so on Broadway is my goal. And right. I want to do this role and I want to do that role mm -hmm. one day. And, you know, I have a girl now that, um, never, she never sang a day in her life. And now she's like looking at university of Michigan, mm -hmm. which is one of the biggest, you know, musical theater programs in the country. Awesome. One of the most reputable. And she's, it's amazing. And she found, she found a love that she didn't know she had. Right. Well, I That's feel like incredible. it's got to be hard for, I mean, so Michael and I, we knew we loved ballet and we, that was like a one track shot, you know, but I feel like there's so many things involved in Broadway, the triple threat part of it, that if you find one love, you might not realize that those other two are also a love, right? Unless you really are like Broadway bound from the get, right? So mm -hmm. I can really see how another art form once introduced to it can come into play and you can kind of find this love for it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, you know, again, it's not, uh, it's not about being just that I feel like dance training is life training, mm -hmm. period. 
Mm-hmm. And as we all know, dancers are the most disciplined people on the planet Earth. Um, and all of this, it's all just good stuff. And we've managed to create, it now in our fourth year, um, a safe home for these kids to um, feel like they can take chances. Mm-hmm. They are accepted no matter who they are, what they look like. Um, what they're feeling that day, you know, there's no judgment. We foster this sort of non-competitive environment for them, but they do excel at the same time and they work very hard and they're committed to what they do. And if I could, if there were eight days in a week, they'd probably be in, and no pandemic, of course, they'd probably be in the studio. Can you tell school. us the name of the program and how kids can get involved with it? Yes. Yeah, so that's, <laughs> that's a good one, isn't it? <laughs> it's Kanyok Arts Initiative. And the website is kanyokartsinitiative.com. And my it's my last name, which is K-A-N-Y-O-K. It's such a weirdo. I kind of <laughs> wonder why I did that because it's so difficult to spell, but. Um, oh, it's, it's distinctive. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Nobody's going to forget that. that. Now we know where to go. Like, yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, and we have a studio space in Lower Manhattan. Um, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of the ballet dancers are using it now during the pandemic because a lot of these other st- bigger studios uptown are closed and it's a wonderful intimate big uh, but intimate meaning it's one room and it's very like my joke is that Michael Jackson can come back from the dead and nobody would know he's rehearsing in there because it's so you know it's it's not a typical windows walls and mm-hmm. mirrors and everybody it's just your room so mm-hmm. they like it is what I'm getting yeah. at they really enjoy being in there um, and we do too it's a lot right. of fun so you mentioned the pandemic, which of course has hit all of us, everyone, all arts, arts organizations and really caused so many businesses, arts organizations included, to kind of pivot and really find something new and adapt to what's going on. So how are some of the ways that um, your organization has pivoted and maybe found some new goals for yourself? The pivot was more like this. Nah. <laughs> A full pirouette. Uh, full pirouette. Totally. Um, <laughs> No, we obviously we went virtual immediately. Mm-hmm. I think I closed the studio on a Thursday. Our last class was a Wednesday. I closed on a Thursday. By the following Wednesday, I think we were on Zoom with the the main state, the main kids. Yep. And then it was sort of a few months after that that we realized, and that what that did was uh, it afforded a lot of dancers that don't live here the opportunity to train with us. Mm-hmm. My faculty is pretty stellar. I should have mentioned that I, I, the <laughs> gratitude I have for them is ridiculous. And, and then they're all old colleagues of mine that I danced mm-hmm. with. So their information load is tremendous. Um, that being said, it gave a lot of these other kids the ability to zoom in with us. And we had, uh, I have four zoom accounts that we run classes off of because I can't do them simultaneously on right, one, right. one account. Um, I should have bought stock in Zoom a long time ago. <laughs> Gosh, shouldn't we have all? My goodness, I know. I know. <laughs> but remember in the beginning, I was just like, this is just Skype. Why are we using Skype? And then now we know. Now we know. <laughs> Zoom is superior. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Skype. Sorry, Skype. Oh. Oh, I know. Yeah, they really missed the boat on that one, huh? <laughs> oh, jeez. I'll tell you, when Rebecca then- realized that the sound quality on Zoom was really it, Sound life a game changer. It changed our podcast forever, honestly. (laughs) I have friends that still want to do meetings, virtual meetings on Google Meets, and it it's um 
it hurts my feelings. And I love Google. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I Google out all every day, all day. But the sound quality is yeah. my it's awesome. Yeah. Sound quality. Sounds Can't like hear you. Together. Yes. <laughs> but so it, we did this virtual platform as ever, most people did, but we kept it very small. Mm-hmm. We... I don't want more than 10, 11, 12 kids maximum on a Zoom mm-hmm. because then the teachers have, you don't get the attention you don't get. They can't see it. And, and, and honestly, the, my faculty were the deciders on this, that issue. Mm-hmm. They wanted to teach as they would teach in the studio. So that's what we did. Uh, we, we ended up getting a lot of kids from all over. And then we realized that, because we had, I have a 501c3. I have a charity. Mm-hmm. And the reason for the charity is to afford marginalized kids in the city and anywhere the chance to experience this this life of class mm-hmm. and this this outlet because and I, because it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the pandemic actually really brought that to our attention. It sped it up for me is what mm-hmm. it did, as I would have never been able to or thought of making that happen so as quickly as we did right and uh end of last spring into the summer we decided to just do a completely free offer a free dance program for mm-hmm. marginalized kids mm-hmm. so cool uh, we now have about uh 80 over 88 dancers in three different countries taking uh, class what's what's the name of this program it's Fate Foundation Kids. Uh, so the Fate Foundation is our charity, and it okay. stands for Future Artist Training and Education. Uh, the foundation, and mm-hmm. and it supports, you know, it's under the Kenyak Arts Initiative umbrella. Sure. Um, but this particular program is Fate Foundation Kids, and, and it's really just to, to title it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's Fate Foundation Kids. To be clear, is not the five hundred one c three. Okay. Um, okay. And the dancers, you know, they're grateful mm-hmm. you know and to have something and we offer the same sort of curriculum they have their ballet classes and they have their jazz classes and we offer them yoga and the, you know there's a fun saturday offering of you know something that's a little more family oriented and they can all do together mm-hmm. as a family and you know it's wonderful and we had started it in the studio pre-pandemic where we brought kids in and we did a whole it was ironically enough last christmas we did an wow. entire we bust down um kids from a shelter families from a shelter and we gave them like sort of like a little dance party holiday celebration we did a secret santa oh my God, I love and that. so nice found one little girl with feet to die for ah! and i looked at her parents and little long skinny little legs and feet. And, I mean, just naturally the ankles fell over and I was like, can I take her? <laughs> can I have her feet? <laughs> we'll give her, we'll give her something. Yeah. Like, you know. um, yeah. So it's like I said, the pandemic really put that on a fast track, which I'm grateful for. Mm-hmm. I think I'm one of the few people that sits in this thing, aside from the fact that I can't go and have dinner at the Odeon you know, my, my spot. Um, that's the only thing I'm missing. You Mm -hmm. know, we've been really great, fortunate to find a silver lining in all of this. I love that. Um, it's true. And it, it, it actually also forced me to buy this desk that I'm sitting at because, because of all the zoom, I've never sat so much in my entire life. I know. Right. (laughs) 
right? And it's <laughs> killing me. Yeah. So I bought this desk that elevates that I can stand at and sit. And so it's nice. Awesome. Oh, wow. That's perfect. Yeah, you want to stand amazing. I'm going to stand with you now. I'm going to show you. I'm not going to stand. <laughs> Amazing. I love that's it. great. That's awesome. Okay. That's an event anyway, to consider. <laughs> look into it. But that's what the pandemic did. And I'm hoping that, and I think the kids too, you know, we did a lot of therapy with them. Mm-hmm. I brought in a, a former dancer friends of mine that are now licensed therapists. And we did a lot of group sessions, especially around BLM when that happened and yeah. um, to talk to them. You know, I had teenagers that were going to college that deferred. I have kids that were booking Broadway shows that they're not going. Right. And that's hard to handle. Oh for, I mean, the whole thing was hard for all of us. Mm-hmm. But a teenager's no, mind. And, those kids are getting it so hard, right. I think. Yeah. 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 So oh, that's wonderful. Well, yeah. As we sort of finally start to see a light at the end of the tunnel, um, how do you think these projects and initiatives will shift? What what will you retain from the time that we've had to, um, you know, double down on Zoom classes and all that? And, and what do you think you'll, you'll move forward into as well? I will always do a virtual offering. Mm-hmm. I think that we've proven in every um, aspect of life, we've proven that we can do it. It's mm-hmm. not ideal, but it is there, whether it be coaching, you know, private coachings or whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, definitely casting is, you know, they're seeing virtual. I mean, this is, I think, going to stick around for yeah. a while. Right. Um, the, the, the fate kids program will most likely will, I have to find the hybrid truthfully, truly, Michael, I don't know. I don't have a definitive answer for you mm-hmm. because we're, I don't know how it will look kids, artists, dancers need to get back in the studio. We all do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. That's the bottom line. I'm mm-hmm. dying to, my kids want to be back. I don't think though that will kill the virtual offering. Right. Um, I might need to have more space. <laughs> you know, I think mm-hmm. we're definitely going to need more space um, to, to be able to uh, facilitate more students. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay with that. I think, right. it's, you know, it's a great who thing. Who doesn't love that? I know, I know. <laughs> and I've also been able to do a lot of the, the collaborations that have happened through this pandemic are really wonderful. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's going to maybe be a big part of our future too, mm-hmm. is where we, who we can join with when the, some of the clouds go away. Right. right. How those, I'm very excited to see how that develops mm-hmm. for the, for the dancers and the professionals too. Yeah. So one of the reasons that we're having you on in particular right now is with a theme of year end giving. And so we're asking if people are able, you know, to support um, arts foundations. We obviously find that very important. So if people would like to support you and the tremendous work that you're doing, how can they do so? Thank you. First of all, we do have a GoFundMe happening right now for the Fate Foundation and Kenya Arts Initiative. And also just on our website in general, there is a donate page that can mm-hmm. take you directly to, you know, the 501c3 sure. and all of that. And it's, it's always welcome because the, you know, the free fate foundation offering is, is just that. Right. So, and, you know, and, you know, and if you look at it in a different way too, it's not just the kids that are being given to, but the artists that are teaching these kids who are, 
definitely out of work mm-hmm. right now. Right. It's a, it's also an, a, a gift to them. Absolutely. And so it's really twofold and it gives me chills to say that because, you know, it's important to me to keep the arts going. Mm-hmm. So th- this is the first time we've ever been hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 9-11 happened and we were back to work. Mm-hmm. Right. It's true. This, this is tragic and it does bring me to tears. So I was, I think I cried during the Macy's Day Parade this year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, it was beautiful to see people working again. Yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, it was totally. like all those Broadway artists, they hadn't done anything I know. since March. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but well, the 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 end is near in a good way. I mean, I, I know. think you know it looks like. I mean, ballet companies are announcing their fall seasons, and I know that it's you know that's still far away. But then at the same time, it's like we're already going to be at March. Like remember March of last year? March <laughs> is almost here. Yeah. Like time ticks on, and yep. we'll be back. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's so true. It's so true. But I love all these virtual nutcrackers that are happening too. my John Celia, who is one of my faculty, a dear, dear friend and faculty member, um, just choreographed a, a paw from Nutcracker. It's a virtual collaboration with a company in San Francisco, but it's not San Francisco Ballet. So I don't want to I don't want to mm-hmm. misquote the company name, but mm-hmm. gorgeous work. Cool. You know, gorgeous. And to see and the idea of the collaboration is there's choreographers and dancers from all over there and then they're going to edit together this nutcracker which i'm i saw his piece and it's absolutely stunning and he happened to use two of my dancers so really fun so a lot of those i mean i think that's great when i see james whiteside and and isabella what they're doing and Mm -hmm. all of them it's not i shouldn't just name them Mm -hmm. there's so many dancers being so creative and Mm -hmm. i think that's a testament to what our how do I want to say this? Like, you know, our people. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And the dedication. And I think it's, go, you know, just like we were mentioning, like how you will keep some of these things from the pandemic. We've been asking all of our guests that, and they all have something that they're going to take from this time and keep. And I think it, it will be once we're starting to return to that normal, it's going to be really amazing years after this to see how this time influenced art and how it did oh, yeah. change like those collaborations, like you're saying. I totally yeah. agree. I to- I can't wait. That's yeah. the most exciting part of this whole thing mm-hmm. because it will result in something truly incredible. Yeah. That's that's a really great thought. Thank you. Uh, I can't think of a better way to end our 2020 <laughs> conversations on dance. What a great note to end oh, thank on. Thank you guys. <laughs> I, it's a, it's just been a privilege and it's a pleasure and uh, I'm so glad to meet you. you and too, I hope Lori. that we meet in person. Absolutely. Come yeah. to the studio. Oh my God, we would love studio that. Studio one, yeah, and watch and visit and see and maybe we'll collaborate. Yes. Absolutely. Okay, we're here for you. <laughs> Thanks again, Great, Lori. guys. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week. If you would like to support the Conversations on Dance podcast, there are a few ways that you can help. Click over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Download episodes when you listen to allow our analytics to better understand our listenership. Join our Facebook group, Conversations on Dance, Friends of the Pod, or you can offer a donation. Conversations on Dance has always been and will always be free to our listeners. You can help us continue to create and produce this unique behind-the-curtain look at the dance world by visiting conversationsondancepod.com support. Thank you for tuning in. See you next week. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.